All right, and we are live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Frankly Speaking on Fridays podcast. I am your host, Frank Pador. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for uh, for being here, for being alive, for us breathing simultaneously, existing within the same space-time. And you know what? We did it again for the sixth week in a row. Uh, in a woe. Yeah, oh, woe is us that we did six weeks in a row on this planet. We've done it. We've done more things. We breathed more air. We drank more water. We may have consumed a little more alcohol, but you know why? Because we deserved it. We did a lot of things this week. We met with responsibilities. We failed a little bit here and there, but you know what? That doesn't bog us down. You know why? Because we're strong. We know that it's just a temporary setback. We're going to get past it. In fact, we're going to do better. And that is what living week by week, day by day, is all about getting a little bit better. So, welcome to this October 15th, 2021 podcast of the FSOF podcast. And if you want to email me, which I will bring up right now in case any emails come through, you can email this podcast at fsofpodcast at gmail.com. Please submit any type of... Um, Topics of discussion, questions, uh, or just say hello. That'll be great. So, welcome. Yes, yeah, another week has gone by. And this is episode six. Six? Six! We're past a handful now. We're on the second hand. That's cool. In a little while, we'll start counting toes as well. I think that's neat. But that's me. So, as always, to commemorate... Another stream on uh, Fapism Plays, another episode of this podcast, we have ourselves a shot. So if you are joining me, great with this shot. If you're not joining me, great with this lack of shot that you'll be having. But hey, here's to us, another Friday, another week, and episode six of the Frankly Speaking on Fridays podcast. So, What? An interesting week. What an interesting week. Uh, it began, as always, with um, waking up, which is always a good start to anyone's day. But what happened this week was something which I think I alluded to last week. If not, apologies. However, I know I made the announcement of what happened on my stream on Wednesday. I have been streaming a bit more. If you caught the announcement, then cool. If not, I'll re-announce it right here, right now. So that cleaning job that I had, I no longer have it. The beast, uh, the shell beast, the job that she has, she no longer has it. We both made a uh, decision to move past our previous jobs, and we have a new job, which is so much better. Uh, we have to take a couple of courses and get licensed for what we wish to pursue as of right now. But once we do, we'll be living a lot happier. We will be doing a job that we will hopefully enjoy, but it has so many benefits to it that it will already make us happy. We'll be our own bosses, we'll make our own schedules. And we'll be able to make a substantial amount of money from what we'll be doing, rather than clocking in and out, working under someone else. 
and just being a part of a work environment which was heavily, heavily toxic. I did not experience much of it because I was out and about and doing my own thing, cleaning what I needed to, etc., etc., but Shelby's was in the thick of it, and I know that she is happier to be out of it. So that's something that I think needs to be mentioned briefly within this, you know, weekly update, is you have to remember to put yourself first and you shouldn't lose that you have to take care of you because no one else can take care of you unless you're not you know you're like in a coma or you're dependent on someone like physically but otherwise you need to take care of you you need to put yourself first you cannot help anyone else until you help yourself that whole thing and uh, we are helping ourselves. We are helping ourselves in this case. And uh, it's all for the better. And I extend that thing, that notion, to you. You need to take care of yourself. You need to put yourself first. If your job is making you unhappy, no way in which to be able to get out of it and to still be financially capable of supporting yourselves and I mean, God forbid you have a family, not God forbid, but if you have a family, make sure that yes, you are happy, but you're also able to provide and support your family. And that also means that if you do have a spouse or a partner, tell them up front, I'm not happy right now. This is what's making me unhappy. And I feel that I've been doing so many things for other people rather than myself. And I think I need to take a little bit of time to be selfish so that I can provide what I need for myself. And ultimately, I'll be happier, which means you'll be happier because I won't be this shell of a person that I believe I've become. And I think that's very important. So evaluate your life. See where you are unhappy. See where you're being selfless. And if you are being selfless, is that impacting you negatively? Because if it is, that needs to change. Take care of yourself mentally, and I think a lot more will happen for you. Shelby chimes in saying, my soul is coming back. Great. Oh my God, great. You got to take those steps in order to put... Honestly, Shelby, <clears throat> you were actually the one that told me, uh, you know, I got that whole lesson of I got to take care of myself. I come first. I got to put myself first. And you're absolutely right. You do have to put yourself first. Every single one of us needs to put ourselves first in order to be able to help ourselves and create ourselves to who we want to be and what we want to do. And until we do that, we're not going to be happy. We're not going to be able to create the paths that we want to uh, for ourselves because then we're just rolling through the motions of life and life is unfortunately sadistic at times as far as circumstances go one thing leads to another and then we just uh we kind of lose ourselves we kind of just accept what is being told to us and what is being thrown upon us so do and take care of yourself be selfish for a little bit figure yourself out figure out what you want to do what will make you happy and do it that's what counts 
Shelby says, don't let yourself get sucked into the toxic environment like I did. That's when my soul started dying. I should have left much earlier. Yeah. And you know what? With uh, the both of us live in America. I mean, obviously, we're, we're roommates. We both live in America. Uh, and there seems to be something amongst applying for jobs where it looks good on your resume on a piece of paper that you stick with a job for at least a year. And while that looks good on paper to someone who's just knowing you for the first time via your resume, they don't know the environment that you went for. They just read this company began here, went there. Here's your boss and address, phone number of the business and a brief description of what you did. But that brief description does not indicate what you had to do. The people that you meant, the environment which you had to work through eight to sometimes, you know, 12 hours a day for some of you factory and delivery people. And you truckers, my God, the hours you put in. If the environment is that bad, it is not worth your mentality. It is not worth your happiness. It is not worth your soul. Find a way to do what makes you happy. No matter how far deep you are into the job, do what makes you happy. Follow that gut instinct. That's why we have a gut as instinct. Follow it. That's that little voice that is trying to show a light through all the darkness which has been clouded and accumulated by life. Follow that voice. Make yourself happy. Right. That was a bit of a tangent. Apologies. Let me continue on. Uh, so we, we left that. And we're grateful for that change. And uh, we look forward to bettering ourselves with the soon-to-be-more-available free time and financial gain. So, with that said, uh, we picked up a new modem. I know this is very, <laughs> like, stupid to mention, but we picked up a new modem. It is a uh, Netgear Nighthawk. Uh, I think it's like a A-something 2700. Set that up last night. Everything's working fine. I only have dropped 68 frames so far this entire stream out of nearly 5,300. So I think it's working great. <laughs> then, um, what else? Um, we have been uh, preparing ourselves, actually. Uh, Shelby's tonight. Tomorrow, we'll be going to the Indianapolis Comic Con. Now, I, I know I'm not big. I know that Shelby's is not big. But if any of you know of us or potentially recognize us, we'll be there tomorrow with you. I'll be dressed as John Wick because I seem to have a striking resemblance to Keanu Reeves. Uh, so if you do recognize us, please say hello. We'd welcome it. But also, we're going to be enjoying ourselves. We're going to be... Um, I'm honestly curious about seeing the reaction that everyone is going to have with William Shatner being there, especially considering that he just got back from his visit through uh, to space. And I watched this morning on an interview with him and I think Jimmy Kimmel, how he literally broke down crying during his interview because he was so, uh, he was so 
moved, I guess is the proper word to use, of his space exploration and how he came back from space with a new appreciation of the beauty of Earth from that view. Witnessing it live. Uh, and he just, yeah, he broke down. He was so enthralled by the view that it changed him. Now, this honestly leads, in my mind, on an entirely different rant of, yes, celebrities, and if you pay enough money, these companies are now able to send average Joes out into space. But I feel that, one, that is a little bit disgusting because we have individuals who are so rich to be able to create their own space programs. And two, if we're sending celebrities and average Joes out into space, doesn't that diminish the intelligence, the training, and the purpose of astronauts? Like, like, uh, like Buzz and Lance, Lance, Neil, whatever Armstrong, I'm, I'm getting the dyslexia, uh, but whatever Armstrong that was that went out to space, doesn't that just diminish their contribution to mankind with celebrities and people who can afford a space trip that's just where my mind goes i i need to think about it more i need to maybe do a little more research but that's where my mind goes but regardless uh we'll see what happens i know that there's a funko like the uh indianapolis we live in the state of indiana Indiana, the state of, uh, the Indianapolis Comic-Con actually updated their website being like William Shatner's first, uh, Comic-Con from space. It's like, really, you, you really felt the need in order to, uh, press that so much that you think it will add more. Maybe it will. Maybe more people will be like, oh yeah, William Shatner, but oh my god, he went to space and this is the first place he's going to be? I gotta talk to him for a hundred bucks or whatever. Maybe it'll work, maybe it will not, but I think that's kind of, I, I don't know, I think that's unnecessary press. But that's me. Um, but we're killing our planet. Uh, we need to start to, to be able to send people out to find a habitable planet. Even average Joes need to leave. Yeah, uh, God, you know what? I think I need to do an environmental press uh, podcast of some sort. Uh, because with people just now being able to go out to space willy-nilly, that adds an entirely different frontier of space. Absolutely. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I guess I need to do an environment podcast. When's Earth Day again? Like, I know that's sometime next year, but uh, I think I'll be able to make a more contributing argument rather than just my quick Google searches and then coming onto my podcast to, to say shit. Uh, anyway, all that aside, let me continue. Uh, so William Shatner is going to be there. He's going to be doing his own thing. Something that Shelby Steinow is extremely excited for is that She's going to meet one of her 
most liked celebrities, who is Lana Perilla. Uh, the gorgeous Lana Perilla. Even I am, uh, I, she's a babe. Uh, she's more than a babe. She is a very fine woman, to say the least. Uh, so I'm happy that she is able to be able to meet her. And we also finished up a couple of days ago, the second se uh, season of Why Women Kill, which was great. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to say anything about it. It is a newer type of show, but you should watch it. We watched the second season because Alana Perilla is in it and also Nick Frost. And we both appreciate and adore Nick Frost. And of course, you know, his comedy duo uh, partner, Simon Pegg. And the first time that I got wind of them is when they did Shaun of the Dead, which is a great movie. And then, of course, they did Hot Fuzz together. Great movie. Darker than what they do. Great movie. Then, of course, Paul. And I believe in Shelby, so you need to correct me, but I believe both of them, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, were on Doctor Who for cameos. I think Nick Frost was Santa Claus, and then Simon Pegg was like some servant of some alien monster, I think, if my memory serves correctly. But yeah, it's a great show. If you haven't seen it, check it out. We may or may not uh, dive... Yes, okay, good, I was correct. We may or may not dive into the first and third season of Why Women Kill, because it's kind of like American Horror uh, Show where every single season is a different cast, a different story. But Why Women Kill is just basically a periodic history of, I think, American history. Uh, Keeper of the Jagrophus. Yeah, that's right. That was a weird one. I need to rewatch Doctor Who. Anyway, um, we may watch the other seasons just to see how... The other seasons compare without, you know, our interested and preferred and more note. I don't want to say notable, but just our preferable and known actors and actresses. But we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's that. Uh, we're gonna go to Comic Con tomorrow. We're gonna enjoy ourselves, and it's gonna be a good time. It better be a good time. And you know what? It's not even a better. I have no expectations because I've neither of us have been to a con before. And it's going to be, I think no matter what, it's going to be fun. It's going to be one of those life experiences of no matter how it goes, good or bad or just meh, it's going to be our bar for Comic-Cons. And I know... Uh, between the both of us, we're going to go to more because as of right now, like we're both like, yes, we got out of our previous jobs. We're into this new job. This new job needs to pick up a little bit and that's on us, but whatever. But next time we go to the con, a con, we're going to have a little more, you know, financial stability. So we're going to be able to enjoy ourselves more, not only with being able to like cosplay and enjoy ourselves that way, but also spend some money and support the people and the actors and actresses that we like. So I think that's, I think that's going to be fun. No matter what, tomorrow is going to be great. And I hope and think that Shelby will agree. 
So that was essentially my week. It was a short update ultimately, but yeah, it's a, uh, it was an interesting week just because of leaving one job and going to another. Uh, that was really the highlight of this week. And yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the friggin' uh, router modem, but that was a long time coming. So here's something that I want to do and introduce real quickly as far as segments go, if this podcast even has segments. But remember some podcasts ago when I was complaining and bitching about hot tub streamers, uh, specifically a streamer who kept coming up uh, within my my podcast, which is uh, Amorinth. Amorinth. Yeah, Amorinth. So I was just searching through my phone, pulling up Google Chrome, and if it's just a brand new window or tab, it will show like recommended articles or whatnot. This article came up, and it came out October 8th of this year at 4.42 p.m. The title of it is Amaranth has been banned from Twitch, Instagram, and TikTok. So here's a follow-up of my rant. For the first time in this podcast, here is a follow-up of one of my rants. This is uh, posted at dotesports.com. As always, I will provide a link. There you go. In case anyone wishes to follow through. And when this is posted on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, I will do my best in order to include the links as well. But this was written by a Kate Irwin. And the article states, just after 3 p.m. Central Time today, the unaffiliated Twitch bot that tracks Twitch partner bans tweeted out that popular ASMR streamer Amaranth has been banned from the platform. The URL for Amaranth's Twitch channel confirms this since it retrieves this the quote sorry unless you've got a time machine this content is unavailable unquote message amaranth confirmed the ban herself with a tweet saying quote banned everywhere unquote this is her fifth recorded twitch ban since 2019 with her most recent previous ban being in june so for those who don't know ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Uh, The article continues. Her main Instagram account with millions of followers also had been deactivated, but Amaranth's Instagram alt account, Amaranth2, spelled T-O-O, has not been removed. Her official TikTok account appears to be banned as well. Amaranth has yet, not yet, commented on the reason for the uh, for these bans and account deactivations. She gained thousands of followers in May for controversial hot tub streams, which led to a temporary restriction of advertising revenue for her Twitch channel. More recently, Amaranth has been streaming ASMR content on Twitch to thousands of viewers with suggestive stream titles like, quote, twins licking the mic, end quote. Now, if this confuses you, I went to a different article uh, from the exact same website, Dote 
sports.com. Uh, this one written by a Ryan Galloway. Um, which I will post because I always quote where my article, uh, articles and data comes from. Now just posted. Within this article, it says, um, uh, the two streamers were handed suspensions. There's another streamer that was uh, banned by the name of uh, uh, Indie Fox. The two streamers were handed suspensions after kickstarting the ASMR meta, a style of streaming where the creators would face away from the camera while licking the microphone. While neither revealed what exactly the band was for, it's likely Twitch banned the creators for breaking their uh, for breaking their sexually suggestive content policy. Well, no fucking shit. The previous article uh, continues and states. Um, Yeah, in her recent streams, Amaranth licks an ear-shaped ASMR microphone while a mirrored pre-recorded loop performs beside her as a, quote, twin Amaranth. It's unknown whether these social media deactivations are related to her Twitch content or her more explicit content on other platforms. Now, I joked about this, and I said... Yeah, you're just one step away from having an OnlyFans page. Well, you know what? I did a little bit of content. Or, not content, but research. And yes, Amaranth does have an OnlyFans play. Now, I can't access the, the page itself because I don't have an OnlyFans account, and I don't plan on ever having one. However, if you type in Amaranth OnlyFans into a Google web search... You hit enter. The first thing that comes up is Amaranth OnlyFans. And the description is come play. C-U-M. Come play. All capital letters. Masturbate with me in my newest video. Join now. Subscribe. $7.50 for 31 days. Regular price $14.99 a month. My suspicion was correct the entire time with these hot tub streamers. Maybe not all of them, but certainly the more popular ones. So more than likely Twitch is indeed attempting to protect itself from these type of streams, these type of suggested content, content, quote unquote, creators. And honestly, if you're wanting to create that content, do it on the platforms which actually are intended for it do it for only fans do it for whatever um other pornographic uh streams account which are available go to pornhub go to RedTube, go to xnxx.com do it there but for the love of god leave the purification of twitch's intent intact if you want to be sleazy fine not judging you don't do it on that platform, though. That platform is for creators of content which do not sell our bodies or our sexualities. 
It is one thing to be able to talk about such things, but I'm not talking on this podcast with a camera while wearing a G-string. One, you would not want to see that. Two, I would not want to see that. And three, if I were to do that, that would be on OnlyFans, where I would only have one fan, and it would be myself. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's all I wanted to get out. It's just, don't. Leave Twitch for its, for the purity that it is, and that it's for just people to be able to share uh their video game skills their crafting skills their uh and i mean crafting legitimately like furniture making like uh carpenters that's the word and uh and other other things of that nature so yeah i'm glad they're banned i hope they stay banned this is their fifth time being banned so you think twitch would keep it there and i hope they do uh, but yeah, that's, that's that. That's all I wanted to say concerning that because, ugh, it's fuck. Yeah, mixology. Yeah, exactly. Hell, friggin' if people wanted to, like, set up a couple of cameras where there's a, just a bowl of fruit and then there's a tapestry and someone's drawing. Great. I would love to watch that. That's, that's a not exploitation that's just sharing actual content and talent mixology yes not everyone can mix a drink well not everyone has the supplies to but if you want to be able to impress some parties some guests some people do it and here's how these are the ingredients you need this is how you do it these are the basic little things that you need your jigger your mixer you'll need some ice maybe a, a mixer for muddling there you go have fun. Learn. Appreciate what someone is doing. It's easy to appreciate a woman or a man's body. We're programmed. We are designed in order to look and just be an infatuation of someone's body. But for you to then exploit that on a platform which is initially intended for actual creation for actual content and not just to make people horny the lonely and the desperate in order to get their money then come to twitch if that's not the case go to pornhub go to OnlyFans, because those have the res less restrictions which will actually be able to sell the content that you want to create but not here. Leave leave us to our own devices, please and thank you. Uh, so, um, here's the other thing that I want to go into uh, that I have planned for this live stream, for this podcast. And I'm sure you know this, but, um, you know, we're, uh, we're in the month of October. We're in the month of the of the scary, of the witches, ghouls, goblins, and ghosts, of the horror films, of the unexpected, the unknown. So, a part of me actually got curious because Shelby and I, as we live together, we have bought, or she has bought, 
a plethora of horror films and we've been watching them. We've been watching some horror films. We initially planned for, you know, every single night we're going to watch a horror film, but you know what? That's a bit too much. <laughs> so we've been picking and choosing and selecting the ones that we feel suit us in the mood right now, but still qualifying under the horror genre. So I got curious. I'm like, okay, so this is what horror film has become because I was born in the early nineties and horror films were already established. They were already classic horror films. There were already, you know, characters and monsters and classifications that were already out that I had to learn. But where did it all come from? Where did these horror movies come from? Where did these characters and legends come from? Now, of course, legends and mythologies, that is all beforehand. But when did it get to film? When did we start to view these entities? When did this chain of and this genre of horror movies and films come from? So I did a little bit of research. And by a little bit of research, I mean, I typed one thing onto Google and I went with it. <laughs> I think as all of us do, but I came up with, uh, an interesting article, which I wish to share because it's short. And I think it will give us all a little bit more of a perspective of how horror movies have come to be. And as always, I will share this article in case you wish to read along there you go this is from the new york film academy and the title is called how horror movies have changed since their beginning this is an older article it came october 21st 2015 so it's coming up to be six years old it says bye but uh it doesn't show a, a uh an author or a writer's or a blogger's name. So I can't share it other than just the URL. So it begins though. Terrifying people through stories. It's been a pastime of we humans since antiqu antiquity. Antiquity. There we go. God, give me a second. With a large swath of folklore centered around things that go bump in the night, particularly supernatural goings-on or anything related to and exploiting our inner fear of death. With such a strong precedent in literature and oral history, it's no surprise that the horror genre was very quick to get its feet under the table soon after the advent of cinema. Over the course of a century, Film horror, as it appears in film, has gone through many peaks and troughs, leading us into that, uh, leading us into the somewhat contentious period we find ourselves in today, six years ago. Where the genre will go over the next hundred years is anyone's guess, but sometimes it's good to look back on the long road we've traveled to get to this point. The first ever horror movie, the origins of horror as a film genre began with, as with many things in cinema history, the works of George Millies. Just a few years after the first filmmakers emerged, uh, the first filmmakers emerged in the mid-1890s, Millies created what is widely believed to be the first ever horror movie in 1898, complete with cauldrons, animated skeletons, ghosts, transforming bats, and ultimately 
the incarnation of the devil. While not intended to be scary, more wondrous, as was Millie's M.O., it was the first example, example of a film only just rediscovered in 1977 to include the supernatural and set a precedent for what was to come. Wow, that wasn't even discovered until late 70s. Okay, let's see. The literary years. Literary years, rather. Between 1900 and 1920, an influx of supernatural-themed films followed with many filmmakers, most of whom still trying to find their feet with the new genre, turned to literal classics as source material. The first adaptation of Frankenstein was, was released by Edison Studios in these early days, as well as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and The Werewolf, now both lost to the fog of time. Things were starting to roll at this point as we moved into the golden age of horror. Widely considered to be the finest era of the genre, the two decades between 1920s and 1930s saw many classics being produced and can be neatly divided down the middle to create a separation between the silent classics and the talkies. One of the silent side of the line, you've got monumental titles such as The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari? Caligari in 1920 and Nosferatu in 1922. We all know Nosferatu, especially Spongebob, who referenced Nosferatu within their first season. So even us growing up who were born in the, in the 90s, Nosferatu was probably first introduced to us by Spongebob. So how about them apples? Anyway, it continues. The first movies to really make an attempt to unsettle their audience with the latter title being Rotten Tomatoes' second best reviewed movie in the horror genre of all time and cementing just about every surviving vampire cliche in the book. Once the silent era had given way to technological progress, we had a glut of incredible movies that paved the way for generations to come, particularly in the field of monster movies. Think the second iteration of Frankenstein, 1931, The Mummy, 1932, and the first color adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1931. The 30s also marked the first time in the industry that the word horror was used to describe the genre. Previously, it was really just romance melodrama with a dark element, and it was also saw the first horror stars being born, Bella Lugosi of Dracula fame was arguably the first specialized solely in the genre. And as well was unnerving its viewers, the genre steady, uh, starting to worry the general public at this first with heavy sensory and public outcry coming common with each release. Freaks, 1932, is a good example of a movie that was so shocking at the time it got cut extensively, with the original version now nowhere to be found. Director Todd Browning, who had previously created an aforementioned and wildly successful Dracula, saw his career floundered at the hands of the controversy. The shock of the shock value of Freaks is one of the few that aged well up until present day and is still a highly disturbing watch. I may have to watch that. 
Because if it's still highly disturbing to watch, you know, potentially up to 2021, evidently it was still highly disturbing to watch, allegedly, to 2015, that's rather infamous. Especially for a 1930s film, nearly a hundred-year-old film to still be controversial and disturbing to watch. I want to watch that now. Absolutely. So, the article continues on. The Atomic Year. Somewhat ironically, Freaks was banned for 30 years in the country that really came into its own during this period. Great Britain. The Hammer Horror Company, while founded in 1934, only uh, started to turn prolific during the 50s. But when it did, it was a near global dominance. Thanks to the lucrative distribution deal with Warner and a few other U.S. studios. Once again, it was adaptations like Frankenstein, Dracula, and The Mummy that put the company squarely on the map, followed up with a slew of psychological thrillers and TV shows. And of course, you can't mention British horror without paying respects to Alfred Hitchcock, single-handedly responsible for establishing the slasher genre, which we'll see a lot as we traveled further down... Uh, further forward in time. Another hallmark of the 1940s and 50s era of horror came as a product of the times, with war raving Europe and fears of nuclear fallout running rampant. It's of little surprise that horror began to feature antagonists that were less supernatural in nature. Radioactive mutation became a common theme, the Incredible Shrinking Man, and Godzilla, as did the fear of the invasion with the War of the Worlds, and when worlds collide, with big hits in 1953. The latter marked the earliest rumblings of the disaster movie genre, but it would be a couple more decades before that would get into full swing. I'll say, the, uh, the disaster movie genre blew up up with it once technology and cgi was able to catch up and do what uh filmmakers and directors actually wanted it to do so yeah yeah absolutely so it continues the gimmicky years 3d glasses electric buzzers installed into the theater seats paid stooges in the audience screaming pretending to faint Everything and anything was tried during the 50s and 60s in an attempt to further scare cinema audiences. This penchant for interactivity spilled over into other genres during the period, but quickly died down in part due to the massive amounts of expense involved. Sure, that makes sense. I can see that. For horror in particular, this gave way to the opposite end of the spectrum, incredibly low-budget productions. From the late 60s onward, so insatiable was the American appetite for gore that slasher films produced for well under $1 million took hold and were churned out by volume. That's not to say that they weren't some masterpieces produced during this time, though. George A. Romeo emerged triumphant, and kick-started zombie movies in this period, having produced Nights of Night of the Living Dead in 1968 with just over $100,000. It went on to gross $30 million, and the Living Dead rose in its wake. Holy crap, that profit. Uh, next, All Hell Breaks Loose. Literally. 
Occult was the flavor of the day between the 70s and the 80s, particularly when it came to houses and kids being possessed by the devil. The reason for this cultural obsession with religious evil, uh, yeah, religious evil during this period could fill an entire article on its own. Yes, it can. But bring it back into cinema realm, we can boil to trend down to two horror milestones. The Exorcist, 1973, and The Omen. 1976. Supernatural horror was now very much back in vogue, vague, vogue, V-O-G-U-E, excuse me, I cannot remember how to pronounce that, and harking back to its cinematic origins. Literal literature once again became the source material. This time, however, it wasn't a Victorian author whose work had fallen out of copyright, but a gentleman named Stephen King. Carrie, 1976, Storm the Gates, and The Shining, 1980, Finish the Siege, with 1982 Supernatural Fright Fest Poltergeist following soon after, which I did recently watch, and it was great. With these hallmarks of horror now firmly established, the foundations were laid for the slasher years. If there's one trope that... Uh, typifies yeah typifies the 80s is the slasher format a relentless antagonist hunting down and killing a bunch of kids in ever increasing inventive ways one by one arguably kicked off by the texas chainsaw massacre in 1974 the output became prolific over the next decade for every 10 generic slashers however there was one flick that would end up becoming a cult classic even if critical Critical success was mixed at the time. Halloween, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm Street were the most prominent examples, which became so successful that they spawned their own long-running franchises. The first time in history of the genre that multiple sequen sequels became commonplace. Plenty of imitators and rip-offs followed too, particularly the holiday-themed department. Some were a lot better than the others, as the genre descended to its most kitschy. The doldrums. Suffering from exhaustion in the wake of a thousand formulaic slasher movies and their sequels, the genre lost steam as it moved into the 90s. The advent of computer-generated uh, computer special effects brought with a number of lackluster CGI monsters, monster titles, that did little to revive the genre, such as Anaconda, 1997, and Deep Rising, 1998. But it was comedy that ended up saving the day. Peter Jackson's early foray into filmmaking saw him taking the splatter subgenre to ridiculous extremes in Brain Dead, 1992, and Wes Craven's slasher parody Scream 1996 was met globally with overwhelming success. Wait, was Scream supposed to be comedic in some sort of way? Or was that just supposed to be in reference solely to Peter Jackson's uh, Brain Dead? No, it says and, so... I didn't know Scream was supposed to be mocking the slasher uh, industry. That's interesting. That is actually rather interesting. It continues. 
The genre as a whole limped on without much fanfare into the 2000s, save for a few box office successes. The zombie subgenre, however, sprang back into unlife during this decade, arguably spurred on by the unprecedented success of Max Brooks's novel World War Z, later becoming a film on its own right. The video game adaptation of Resident Evil in 2002 was among the first of the new wave, followed swiftly by 28 Days Later, a few months later, Dawn of the Dead 2004, Land of the Dead 2005, I Am Legend 2007, and Zombieland 2009. Yeah, for about a decade, we went through a huge zombie phase, without a doubt. So the present day, which is six years ago, just about, keep in mind, the state of the horror industry is hotly contested, with the genre seemingly, seemingly relying on churning out remakes, reboots, and endless sequels. Many argue that it's languishing in the doldrums once again with little originality to offer a modern audience. My god, yes. I mean, how many times are you going to create Halloween? How many times are you going to create Nightmare on Elm Street? How many times are you going to... They just did, they just recreated it. Are they soon going to recreate and remaster Chucky? I say that and now it's going to happen. Oh boy. It continues. The resurgence of quote-unquote torture porn is also derived as a subgenre, having come back into the fore in the wake of the 2000s Saw and Hostel franchises with no sign of slowing down. Luckily, Saw did slow down. Uh, but yeah, torture porn, absolutely. And then, of course, you can't forget the infamous Human Centipede, which has come out as well, which I still haven't watched, and I'm going to, but I'm reluctant to do so because I'm not much of one for gore fest, horror, psychological thrillers, things of that nature. That's all great fun, dandy, but gore, I don't know. Senseless murdering for the sake of senseless murdering is not necessarily like, you know, meh. It's, it exists, I know. It appeases some people, but not me. The article continues. On the other hand, glimmers of hope shine through with examples of extreme originality and artistry. Cabin of the Woods, 2012, has been heralded as this decade's scream, and the recent releases of the Babadook and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, both to, uh, 2014, have bre uh, breathed new life into the genre. The future, with perhaps more subgenres than any other branch of fictional filmmaking, it's difficult to see how anyone can expand or advance on anything that has come before in cinematic horror. But no doubt, somebody will. And it's highly likely that the film school students of today will become the Alfred Hitchcocks of tomorrow. So that's a neat read. I like that. I like how it's presented. I like how it goes through horror films and its history. So, nowadays... Um, I don't know. I would love to read an update of a article such as this because we look at other successful horror films such as Get Out. Uh, I know that won a bunch of awards and rightfully so. But yeah, I agree. What is the uh, future of horror films? Uh, will they have horror films which just entwine successfully? 
all fears because as above, so below, I can watch that film. I've seen it many times, but there's still one scene which always irks me. And it's the uh, cinematographer who just has an episode, a conniption, essentially, of, um, of being claustrophobic, which I am. And that scene always makes me need to move and tingle. I'll watch it. I'll be in the room. I won't like it. And I'm going to move a lot until that scene ends. The rest of it is fine. But I think that's a very well laid out. And maybe you learned something about the, uh, the uh, history of horror movies. Because I know I did. I really need to check out uh, that one 1930s film. What was that? It was, um, yeah, Freaks. What is that all about? The story of the love life of the sideshow. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. So I know I'm getting to about an hour into uh, the podcast, which is where I normally cut things off. I have one more thing planned in light of the fact that it's October. It's October 15th, 2021. So there's still, you know, 16 days left of of this month of the horror of the scares and of the blood and guts and gore. So I thought I would hop on over to Rotten Tomatoes and I would look through what they offer. This article contains uh, 40, I think it's the top 40 films that they have that, yeah, the top 40 films that they had, but I just want to go with the top 10. So with that said, here we go. And I will also read the full synopsis of each 10 of these, uh, these movies that they recommend. So at number 10, we have the stylus at a 90%. The synopsis being, we all dream of being someone else, but for, but for Claire, that dream goes from an obsession to a living nightmare. Hair stylist by day, serial killer and collector of scalps by night. Claire's lonely existence is thrown into turmoil when her regular client, Olivia, uh, asks her to style her hair for her wedding day. Increasingly fixated on Olivia's seemingly flawless life, Claire vows to lock up her scalp collection and change her ways for good, only to discover that repressing your deadly desires is easier said than done. Interesting. Ugh, God, scalping. Anyway, number nine, also at a 90%, the Queen of Black Magic. What do we got? What do we got? That preview looks horrible. Um, a family travels to the distant rural orphanage where the father was raised to pay their respects to the facility's gravely ill director. But his and his best friend's homecoming turns into a terrifying supernatural ordeal that threatens their and their family's lives. Someone is using dark magic to avenge evil deeds, long buried but not forgotten. Stan Boyle's film is a reimagining of the 1981 Indonesian horror classic of the same name. Neat. Bringing Indonesian horror classic films into this. That's neat. Yeah. So maybe the queen of black magic. Interesting. Okay. 
Number eight, Fear Street Part 3, 1666, also 90% on the Rotten Tomato list. The synopsis states... In 1666, a colonial town is gripped by a witch hunt that has deadly consequences for centuries to come. While teenagers in 1994 try to put an end to their town's curse before it's too late. Uh, I'm not seeing anyone on the uh, casting crew as familiar, but good for them. They obviously got Rotten Tomatoes' attention, so good on you guys. Oh, this one I know, and I'm sure everyone else knows. Coming at number 7 at 91% is A Quiet Place Part 2. I still need to watch Quiet Place Part 1. Um, let's see, it writes, Following the deadly events at home, the Abbott family must now face the terrors of the outside world as they continue to fight for survival in silence. Forced to venture into the unknown, they quietly realize that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats that lurk beyond the sand path. Yeah, um, honestly, I have, this is a cast that you'll know more. Uh, Emily Blunt, uh, Cillian Murphy, Millicent Simmons, Noah Jupe, uh, John uh, Krasinski, who was also a part of the first one as well. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I need to watch that. It looks super interesting, uh, especially considering the fact that the actors and actresses, they actually had to learn quite a bit of sign language in order to be able to play their characters and their parts. So I got to respect that. Got to respect that. Number six at a 92% is a movie called PG Psycho Gore Man. Uh, so let's see. Siblings Mimi and Luke unwittingly resurrect an ancient alien overlord who was entombed on Earth millions of years ago after a failed attempt to destroy the universe. They nicknamed the evil creature Psycho Goreman, or PG for short, and used the magical amulet they discovered to force him to obey their childish whims. It isn't long before PG's reappearance draws the attention of intergalactic friends and foes from across the cosmos, as a, a and a rogue and a rogues gallery of alien combatants converge in small towns suburbia to battle for the fate of the galaxy. What? Genre, horror, and comedy. I would hope so. <laughs> what a description. I mean, they must have done well for... Um... Okay, here's the thing, though, is that the tomato meter is 92%, but the audience score is 63. So, critics love it. Audiences are okay with it. Interesting. Okay. Number five, Lucky, at a 93% tomato rating and a 25% audience score. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, a self-help book author finds herself stalked by a threatening figure who returns to her house night after night. She is forced to take matters into her own hands when she can't get help from those around her. So it sounds like uh, 
like when a stranger calls or unknown call or or whatever it sounds like one of those it doesn't even label any of of the actors or actresses i'm only getting director producer and writer uh, and i'm not willing to explore any further but that's a 93 percent according to tomato number four slacks with two x's at a 96 percent uh it says a possessed pair of jeans is brought to life to punish the unscrupulous practices of a trendy clothing company shipped to the company's flagship store slacks proceeds to wreak carnage on staff locked in overnight to set up the new collection why <laughs> killer slacks this this has to be a stephen king novel it's not but why okay moving on the amusement park at number three also with 96 percent and a 34 percent audience score all right Recently discovered and restored 46 years after its completion by a George A. Romeo Foundation and produced by Susan uh, Disrocker Romeo, the amusement park stars Martin Lincoln's Mazel as an elderly man who finds himself disoriented and increasingly isolated as the pains, tragedies, and humiliations of aging in America are manifested through roller coasters and chaotic crowds. Commissioned by the Lutheran yeah, Lutheran Society. The film is perhaps Romeo's wildest and most imaginative movie, an allegory about the nightmarish realities of growing older, and is an alluring snapshot of the filmmaker's early artistic capacity and style and would go on to inform his ensuing filmography. The Lost film was restored in 4K by Indie Collect in New York City. All right, so a horror film about becoming old. Interesting. I'm surprised it was rated that highly. At number two, at a 97%, The Boy Behind the Door. All right, what do we got? 97% tomato meter, 73% audience score, with 100-plus ratings for the audience score, so it's more liked. In The Boy the Behind the Door, a night of unimaginable horror awaits 12-year-old boy, a 12-year-old Bobby and his best friend Kevin, when they are abducted on their way home from school. Managing to escape his confines, Bobby navigates the dark halls, praying his presence goes unnoticed as he avoids his captor at every turn. Even worse is the arrival of another stranger, whose mysterious arrangement with the kidnapper may, uh, kidnapper may spell certain doom for Kevin. With no means for calling for help and miles of dark country in every direction, Bobby embarks on a rescue mission, determined to get himself and Kevin out alive or die trying. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's deep. That's deep. Truly a fear for parents more than anything else and kids, but kids wouldn't be watching it. So parents and at number one for the tomato at a 98% is a movie called my heart can't beat unless you tell it to 98% tomato meter, 70% audience score. So what do you have to say for yourself? Dwight prowls the streets after dark, 
He searches each night for the lonely and forlorn, looking for people who won't be missed. Dwight takes no joy in this, but he needs their blood. Without fresh human blood, his fragile young brother Thomas cannot survive. Each death takes a larger toll, the burden of his crimes weighing heavier each time, threatening to crack his spirit. But Thomas and his sister Jessie are all the family Dwight has left, and as a fiercely private and close-knit family unit, they depend on him and the rituals they've learned in order to keep their secret. But while Dwight yearns for another life, Jessie needs them to stay together, and always the boy must feed. Interesting. Very interesting. So I'm sure there's a lot of, like, um, horror family dynamic uh things of that nature so is it implying that like the brother is a, a vampire or uh, has some sort of liver disease i don't know anyway so those are the uh the top 10 that tomato ron tomato gives out the stylus the queen of black magic fear street part three uh, 1666 a quiet place two pg psycho gore man lucky Slacks, the amusement park, the boy behind the door, and my heart can't beat unless you tell it to. So, there you go. That's, um, I hope you enjoy. I hope you have a good uh, Halloween uh, and October for the rest of it, which remains. I'll see if I come up with any other type of horror October related um, podcasts, because there's still two more Fridays after this one in October. So we'll see. Anyway. I'm going to call a podcast here. Uh, we're well over an hour now, and I hope that you are educated a little bit more about horror films and potentially what is critically raved. Maybe you check them out. If you do, let me know. Email me, fsofpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you think of these movies and whether or not they are indeed worth watching. So, with that said, I'm going to sign off. Again, email me at fsofpodcast at gmail.com. I will take on, you know, topics of suggestion or suggested topics, questions, and just say hello. Also, speaking of which, hello to uh, my listeners overseas. I got enough information analytics in order to see that there are a couple of other countries which listen to this, this podcast. So thank you very much for that. And it is much appreciated. And please write in to me with your perspective. It would be greatly appreciated and i would enjoy the insight in all honesty so yeah this podcast is going to be posted on youtube at fapism plays and of course this podcast is also found on spotify and apple's podcasts either type in my name frank pedor or the frankly speaking on friday's podcast and it will appear so thank you all again uh, i will see you next friday as I always say, remember, keep practicing no matter what it is, so long as it doesn't hurt yourself or anyone else. I'm going to practice putting myself first, doing what I need to do in order to make myself happy so that I can help make others happy. And uh, walking away from this job, getting this new one, was certainly a step in the right direction. And I hope that you're able to do the same for yourself. Um, and if you haven't, consider it, because I hope you do. I really hope you do. We all deserve happiness, but it has to come from us first in order to make ourselves happy. So I'm going to practice that. 
and you do the same. If you're at the Indianapolis Comic Con, you recognize myself or Shelby's, please say hello. Otherwise, we're going to enjoy ourselves. And if you're there, enjoy it too. Be safe. Have fun. And uh, yeah, I will see you all next week. Take care of yourselves until then. And uh, yeah, I'll see you then. Au revoir.